You're listening to the Guac is Extra podcast, and we're your hosts, Vicki Huff and Alyssa Huff. We're bringing you raw, real, and no BS conversations on parenting and life after kids. We're here to dive deep into this whole parenting thing and get some helpful tips along the way. They always tell us that the guac is extra. Well, so are we. Hey, guys. Hey. Uh, On today's episode, we are talking to Adrienne. She hits a lot on infertility, uh, life after twins, and saving a marriage. Um, Homegirl took us on a roller coaster. I know. I re- so we had never met her before we did this podcast. And so she sent us a little bit of her story, but I didn't realize how, how much it actually was until she started talking. I mean, I was, I was shocked the whole time. I just listening to her speak. I her story was so interesting. I was just like, keep talking, keep talking. <laughs> I know me too. Like she talked a lot in this and like we hit with some points, but most of it is actually her, but to yeah. listen, I loved listening to it. And I loved her, like not knowing her and interviewing her. That was like awesome. <laughs> I know her personality is so sweet and yes. she's so funny, but so, uh, she talks a lot on infertility and her husband being gone and how she was having to kind of go through that while he was um, starting off in the, I don't, what branch is Navy. the Navy when he was starting mm-hmm. off in the Navy. And so, um, that was insane already. I can't imagine being told yeah. what she was told. And then during this process, she had health issues with one of her twins. So, I mean, she had to go through a lot to try to figure out what was wrong. Yes. And, uh, she talks about how she was so scared because something might happen to baby a is what she calls it in the episode. Uh, <laughs> Called her baby in the episode, uh, that something was going to happen to her while she was asleep. So she would jack up on coffee and pre-workout so she could stay asleep. And she said that she had seizures from it. And I was like, Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. And not only that, but like, uh, she also hits that she has, um, and you know, a lot of people don't think that this actually happens because, you know, people in the field usually get this uh, more often than somebody in normal life, but she has PTSD from being in NICU. Yeah, I know. And so honestly, I didn't register that that would be a thing until she, we kind of talked about it um, before Mm -hmm. we recorded. And then I was like, oh my gosh, that really could so be a thing because if something's really wrong with your baby, oh my gosh. (laughs) Well, not only that, but for like an example, I mean, say you were on the streets and somebody shot you. I'm pretty sure you would have PTSD over, you know, something like that happening to you, regardless of if you're in, you know, the the field of Marines and army and military, I mean, things like that can happen. So a lot of moms don't actually think that they have that, that they're experiencing this anxiety, these flashbacks, these crazy memories, and they're, they're experiencing a form of um, PTSD from their child being in the NICU. Yeah. I mean, I I would have PTSD from it. Right. I know. And your baby was in the NICU. Thank gosh, not as bad for what other children are. So. Oh yes. No, I would never wish NICU on anybody. No. Even the worst person in the world. I would not. Yes. And she said a lot that she was in there and nobody would come in and see the baby. She'd be there all day. And she said that she Ubered to the hospital to see her baby. And then she was like, and I was there all day and I only saw two people come in with, you know, yes, 70 babies. Is. And 
I, that just makes my heart so sad, but in that's just reality, right? Yeah. Well, like when, when Wiley was in NICU, Diane was walking down the hall and she said, I just want to work here so I can love them. I can hold them and cuddle them. They won't be alone. Right. I know. I can just hold them and rock them the whole time. But so, uh, she definitely talked about how her marriage was failing during all of the craziness that you'll hear in the episode and how she has managed her and her husband have managed to kind of stitch their relationship back together and they're stronger now than ever. And also, uh, I wanted to let y'all know that we were actually the first podcast to hear her story. Yes, yeah, and she has a podcast called Simply Salty, and she hasn't even shared all of this with her audience either, so I'm so grateful that she was, you know, willing to come on and talk with us a lot about this. Yes, and I really hope you guys enjoy it. Yeah, here she is. Here's Adrienne Latham. Woo! Adrian, how are you doing in the quarantine? Um, I'm surviving. I didn't think, so when it all started, I was like, I'm a stay at home mom. I stay at home all the time. Anyways, I did not realize how much we went to the park. Right. <laughs> so now I'm yes, a thousand percent. Wow. And our yard is not that big. And I'm like, I mean, I think it's like eight by eight. It's not big at all. And I'm like, we can only run around this yard so much. <laughs> so many times. And then it's, <laughs> then it's boring. Right. I'm just like, well, what are we going to do now? So I'm just trying to keep my vibe high, trying to keep busy. I've organized like everything and I'm already a pretty organized person in general. So I'm like, well, either this has to like change soon or like I'm going to start giving out haircuts. How many kids do you have? I have two. I have twin girls and they are three. Oh, oh my goodness. Oh, twins. twins. Yeah, they are wild. <laughs> I, I think so. I probably would have had six kids based on them. Like when they were like, I don't know, eight months to 18 months. It was so much fun. And then they got two and got a little trickier and they turned three and I was like, I'm done. I feel this deep in my soul. <laughs> <laughs> my three-year-olds are hard. Mine's two. She just turned two in January, but she's a mess and she is a pris. I can't even imagine I can check that a thousand three, percent. <laughs> yeah, I can't even imagine what three is going to be like at all for us. Um, okay, so when we had talked, we had talked about infertility and miscarriages. So um, let's get into that. I want to hear the whole, your whole backstory. All right, so it's kind of crazy. I've never really shared it before. A lot of people, I think, know bits and pieces. So I'm excited to actually get it out there. Um, Ooh, I'm excited to hear the whole thing. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, so my husband and I have been together for eight years and we've been married for almost six of those years. But when I got pregnant, we weren't married. We were just 21. I was actually pregnant at the same time as my best friend. So that was like kind of exciting. Um, we had just moved in together. So we were really nervous. I mean, we were like, oh my gosh, this wasn't in our game plan. I mean, we had, okay. I mean, we had like good jobs for being 21 year olds, but not really a good job to like raise a family. And we were extremely nervous. So we again, didn't tell anybody. And then I actually was in, I was a bridesmaid in a friend's wedding when I had my miscarriage. And oh so, my gosh. yeah. Oh and my. I was talking to her about like my symptoms and stuff. And she was just kind of like, Oh, you know, like your stomach stretches and you know, weird stuff happens stay calm. And then, um, it just got worse. And I felt like I was dying. I'm like, I have no idea what's happening. Like, this is awful. 
So I went to, uh, my husband drove me to the ER and, um, when we get there, you know, like they are doing like the ultrasound and everything. And I remember I had seen tons of ultrasounds before. So I, when I looked at it, I knew that there was nothing on there at all. Um, my husband, boyfriend at the time, he was like, just keep your faith. Like, you don't know what God has like planned for us. You know, like the doctor hasn't said anything. And I remember just like crying and he thought I was crying because like, I didn't know, but I was crying for him because my heart was already broken. I already knew what was going to happen. And then they came in and they said, you know, um, there is, there's nothing there. Like oh. you're going to have to have, um, surgery. And so I went into surgery and came out of that and we told his parents and my parents and we just never spoke about it again. Oh. And yeah. Um, so then it got really kind of crazy because my best friend went on to have a healthy pregnancy and mm -hmm. have a baby. And so then that kind of hindered our friendship a little bit because for a couple of years, like I couldn't see her kids like on Facebook and I couldn't see him in person because I was like, oh, my kids should be crawling. Um, you know, my kids should be saying mama. And then when I kind of got over that, he turned five and he started kindergarten. And then I was a mess because I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is what our life should be right now. And it's not. And when you have a miscarriage, they don't tell you why you right. know, there's, there's no reason. And so I'm like, well, what happened? Like, what did I do wrong? And I just felt like I had so much guilt and I didn't know anybody that had a miscarriage. And so I did just didn't say anything. And then we got married and I was 23. He would had joined the Navy by this time. And he was actually on his first deployment. And I just was having more like issues, like health issues. And I went home and that's when they diagnosed me with endometriosis. And Ugh, oh my gosh, um, I have the chills, you poor thing. I know. <laughs> so the doctor that was on call that did my DNC, she actually just became my regular like OB. She was at our wedding. She showed up. Like, I think that she had a really soft spot because I didn't have a whole lot of emotion because I was just so confused. Like I didn't understand it. Like I was sad and heartbroken, but yet I just didn't understand why it was happening. And I'm like, what have I done to deserve this? Because I felt like everybody just gets pregnant and they have healthy babies. Right. And, and it's, it's definitely mm -hmm. like society coming at you and you're like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm, I'm here because I'm supposed to get married and supposed to have babies and I can't have babies and everybody else is having babies. And what did I do? Like, I totally understand. Yeah. And oh. we, um, or so she was like very gracious with how she told me about my endometriosis. And she was just kind of like, you basically have a year to get pregnant. If you don't get pregnant within a year, your chances are going to go from 40% to 10%. Oh, and I wow. bawled. I just bawled and bawled and bawled. I'm like, my husband's deployed. Like that's eight months out of the year that there's no chance to get pregnant. And I, we were newly married. So everybody's like, when are you going to have kids? Why aren't you guys having kids? What's your <sighs> plan for kids? And I was like, I have no idea. And I was like, I don't know if I will ever have the chance to be a mom. Like, I just, I don't know if that's going to happen for me. Well, why? You know, and I don't think that people are malicious by it, mm -hmm. but if you haven't been through it, you don't know. Right. And See, we, we talked about this in another episode that we said that those questions just don't need to be asked. Nobody knows your situation, like what you're going through and they bring it up in your head and you're like, well, I mean. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of the time that it was brought up in like public places. Mm -hmm. 
And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. Why am I talking about to anybody about conceiving a child? Like, this is weird. <laughs> you know, like, okay. Uh, I didn't know this happened once you got married. Yes. Um, oh my gosh. Everybody, <laughs> mama, when are you having babies? And you're like, okay. Yeah. And then <laughs> like, was, let me be me. Exactly. And I'm like, we just got married and we moved to a new state. Like we want to adventure a little bit, you know? And I wanted to kind of get over like what had, what had happened. Um, so then he like came home from, or I didn't tell him for the longest, almost his entire deployment. I did not tell him. And I was just like devastated. And I would just cry all the time about it. And, and you don't um, get to talk when they're on deployment, right? Very often. Not very often. I could email him and like get a phone call here and there. And he kept saying, what's wrong? And I just thought I was like, he's going to leave me. Like he's going to leave me if I can't have his kid. Like right. this is awful. Yeah. And that, that's something you don't want to tell anybody over email or over phone. Like you want to be able to tell them in person. And then not only that, but to tell them like, Hey, we have a 40% chance now. And yeah. after this it's 10. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know how he's going to react to it. And I don't know if he really has anybody to like confide in, like, you know, it was just a weird situation. Mm -hmm. So finally I just like broke down one day and I told him and he was like, it's okay. I was like oddly calm. And I'm like, oh, what do you mean? He's like, it's fine. He's like, yeah, the doctors can tell you whatever they want, but God always has a plan for us. And I just want you to know that there's a bigger plan out there. And I was like, I've been to three doctors and they've all told me the same thing. And he's like, it's fine. We'll figure it out. And here he is all calm. Oh, I just love that. <laughs> and he's not the calm one <laughs> ever. So I'm like, okay, I guess we'll just figure it out. And so, um, yeah, we were like, well, I guess I was like, I guess we'll try when he got home, but I didn't want to say try. Cause I felt like if I didn't get my heart involved in it, that I wouldn't be as upset if it didn't happen. Right. You know? So I, I was gotcha. just like, no, we're not really trying, but like I tracked everything <laughs> like meticulously <laughs> and it just never happened. And just like, we're not preventing. Right. Yeah. And yeah, every month was just like another letdown. And I was just like, oh, gosh, okay. So we fully came to the conclusion that we were just going to take the next five years of our life and we were going to just travel travel around. He was just going to probably stay in the Navy forever and we just wouldn't have kids. Maybe we would adopt. Maybe we wouldn't. And two months later on April Fool's Day, so April Fool's 2016, I- Of all days. Yeah. And I'm the biggest prankster too. <laughs> I had like this elaborate April Fool's Day prank like laid out for him. And I um, found out that I, I went to the ER because I wasn't feeling very good and um found out I was expecting twins they were oh like, my gosh <laughs> yeah they're like well you are pregnant and you're pregnant with two and I remember saying is this a joke and she's like we don't joke in the health we, we don't like, we don't joke at the hospital okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'm like are you sure they were fools <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly and I remember I so I had worked at a doctor's clinic I guess I should back up I worked at a doctor's clinic and so I gave myself a pregnancy test and it said positive, but the mm -hmm. way that I was feeling, I knew I was like, I'm having a miscarriage like this. So that's why I went to the ER. I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm pregnant. I don't even know it. And I'm going to, I'm having a miscarriage. And so I went to the ER and they did all these tests and it took forever. And you know, the 
sonographers and stuff, they don't tell you anything. So right. I'm like, your face and I'm like, what's mm -hmm. happening here? And they like turn the screen away from you and you're like trying to look. <laughs> well, and she was like, what do you do? And I was like, well, I work at a clinic. And she was like, oh, okay. And I'm like trying to look at it. And I'm <laughs> She's like, like right, let me turn She this. knew. Yeah. <laughs> let me go ahead and turn it. Yeah. And I remember when they told us that we were having twins, I looked over and my husband was like so happy, like elated. Oh. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, like his face was bright red and he just had like the biggest grin on his face. And he comes from a family of twins. There are seven sets of twins on his side of the family alone. Oh my oh gosh. Yeah. And there's like five on my side, but I didn't realize that the ones on my side were all twins because they're either boy girl or they're fraternal. So they look nothing alike. Ah. Yeah. So I should not have been surprised that it was twins. Right. But after <laughs> you know, being told that I couldn't conceive, like they, they told me that I would never be able to conceive naturally. I had 10% chance of, um, like carrying to full term, that it just wasn't going to, to happen. Yeah. And so I, you're sitting here thinking like, much less, I, I can't have one, much less two. And now you're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm like, all right. And then it went into like a real, um, panic mode. I had just like turned 26 and it still feels like very young, but because of what had happened in the past, they didn't tell anybody. I didn't document like my entire pregnancy. I just, I didn't take pictures because I think a part of me always felt like, all right, something's going to happen. Just when, especially with twins. Yeah. In my first miscarriage, I was 16 weeks. So you're technically in your safe zone, you know, you're right. in that trimester. So that was even more hard. And so I just could not relax at all. And I have a smaller like frame and my husband's a big guy and our babies were kind of big. So I never really felt them move because there just wasn't any room for them to move around. Mm -hmm. And I just like overanalyzed everything. I'm just like, okay, so like, when is it going to happen? And, um, I was 27 weeks and I went into preterm labor the first time. And I was like, holy smokes. Like, and that's what I thought. I was like, this is it. Like, this is how my story ends. And oh, what a horrible mindset you had to have while you were going through your whole pregnancy. You couldn't even be happy. Yeah. And I, I definitely was not happy because I just didn't believe it. And I ended up having my girls early at 33 weeks and they were in the NICU and I was so sick that I didn't get, a, I didn't get to hold them. They put them on, like they touched them to my cheek and then they like whisked them out of a door and I didn't see them for almost 27 hours. Didn't touch them, didn't see them, nothing. Oh my, I think, I don't think I could do that. I would panic. Mm -mm. Oh, my emotions were so, I mean, I was happy. I was sad. I was angry. Like I just kept hitting every emotion. Oh. I, um, cause I ended up with preeclampsia. So I had to just stay in a hospital bed. Same. <laughs> yeah. With, it, with magnesium, which that makes you feel like crap. Uh -huh. And, um, if the girls weren't in the NICU, I could have seen them. So my husband had to go take pictures of them in the NICU and then come back and show me the pictures of them. Oh my gosh. And like, as a mom, you know, we're waiting our whole pregnancy. We're growing this baby. We're waiting to meet them. And then they're here and you can't even see them. Oh, yeah. I'd have been mad if my husband was going down there. Like, no, <laughs> I know I was like, can't either. And he couldn't hold them. He could just look at them. So he kept saying, well, I'm not holding them either. And I'm like, but I can't even see them. And I, you know, in like the movies and society, you see this 
amazing moment. The baby gets laid on your chest and the mom and the baby just fall in love. And I didn't have that. Right. And then I was like, oh my gosh, like what's like, what's going to happen? Like, this is really, it was really weird. Like, I don't even know how to explain how just weird it was. Like I just had babies, but I've never even seen my babies. Right. Yeah, you had a you're, you're a mom, but you've never even seen the things that made you a mom. <laughs> and, I, and I didn't feel like a mom. It was <sighs> weird. Like, I just didn't feel like a mom. And I was just, I kind of like empty. It was almost as if I had lost again, but they were still here. I just couldn't see them. I couldn't touch them. And I was just like, nobody understands this. I don't know anybody who's like been through this, you know? And I remember when I finally did get wheeled to the NICU to see them, it still just felt weird. Like I kept waiting for that moment that like euphoric over the top love feeling. And like, I just didn't have it. And then I was like, what the hell's wrong with me? Like, is this postpartum kicking in? Like what's going on? But it was so surreal. Cause in the NICU, you have to ask, can I feed my baby? Can I change my baby? Can I pick my baby up? And that was weird too, because I felt like essentially they were other people's children. And like, why do I have to ask permission? And my one daughter, baby B, she was five days old before I ever saw her legs. And I have a picture of just her legs on my phone. And some people are like, why just her legs? And I'm like, cause it was the first time I saw them. I right. was like, but she was all bundled up or she had like cords and stuff. And we, um, we didn't tell anybody that we'd have the girls because until I could see them. I don't blame um, you I for that. My husband, yeah. my husband told his parents and a lot of people were like, well, why haven't you told us? I'm like, I can't even see my kids. It doesn't feel real. So I'm not going to tell you I've had them. Right. <laughs> um, we didn't ever share pictures of them in the NICU. Um, he would show me obviously when I couldn't see them and I would just cry because as any human, you see this little innocent human, you just want to like protect him. I couldn't do anything. And we just never really, we just didn't share anything. And I'm like, well, in my opinion too, I think it's kind of unfair that if you couldn't see them, like you telling his parents and your parents and everybody, and then they go see them like that's, that's unfair. Well, and fortunately we were stationed in Florida at the time. So it's kind of like a double-edged sword. So it was just me and him. And then oh. Yeah. And then crazy enough, my best friend who was a Navy spouse at that time, she's a twin and, um, she would come. How funny. You have so many twins. (laughs) It's crazy. It is so crazy. Uh, she would come sit with me every day and I would send her into the NICU. Like I wrote down on a piece of paper and signs that she, cause I didn't want my girls to be alone. So either my husband was sitting with her or our best friend that is a twin was sitting with them. And so it was like a back and have, forth thing. One of them was with you and one of them was with the, with the baby. Yep. And we just kind of kept it in between like us three and we didn't tell really anybody. And what was so wild about it is that the hurricane had just hit Haiti and they needed um, relief for that. And so my husband's ship actually was going to Haiti. He had his sea bag packed. And I'm like, I don't feel good. Like something's going on. And he, I called the nurse line and they were like, you need to get here now. And his chief was like, you need to get here now. And Jake's like, I don't know what to do. Like, <laughs> And we got to the hospital at six o'clock and the girls were born at 9.02 and 9.04. Like it went quick. Like I was in and I was in surgery and then like out because they, Essentially, once I got there and they got me all hooked up, they couldn't um, like find the girl's heartbeats, really. They were very faint. And this is where it gets super emotional and scary. 
is that my blood cell counts weren't high enough. And I would like, they were super, super low. And they were like, we need to have an emergency C-section, but there's a chance that you could bleed out. Oh my so, gosh. Yeah. Like you're not oh going to blood. And so they're like, we can either go forward and do that. And we have a better chance at saving your babies or we give you medicine, bring your cell counts up and we take them in the morning. What do you want to do? And I'm like, well, of course, like take the babies, right. you know, go for it. I usually don't get scared of much. Like I'm kind of a wild spirit. <laughs> you know, I was petrified. I remember laying on that table. First off, I did not know that they strapped your arms down during the C-section. So I'm like, this they strapped yours down. Yeah. They strapped my arms down. They didn't strap mine down. And I was like, what's happening? Like, this is crazy. And I don't, it could have been because I would, it was such a crazy situation too. Yeah. And it was an emergency. Mine was actually planned. So I know they're yeah. two different ball games there. It was nuts. And I just looked at my husband the entire time and he just kept saying, are you okay? And I was like, yeah. And I was like, I think I'm dying. Like that, I really thought on the inside, like I'm dying. My body's given up on me. And I was like, I just want to hear them. Like, I just want to hear them. And baby A, she rocketed into the world and hasn't stopped screaming since. <laughs> <laughs> My little baby B, she didn't make a sound. She was silent. And I was freaking out. And I remember the nurse or the doctor that delivered her, which wasn't even my doctor, which was the on-call doctor, mm -hmm. was like beating her and, you know, whatever else. And she said, I can't stimulate her. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, I was like, do not tell me I'm taking home one baby. Like, this is terrible. And then a NICU doctor from, I don't even know where he was like an angel that came out of the sky, like picked her up, held her upside down and like smacked her on the back super hard, suctioned out her throat. And then all of a sudden she just, oh, what a relief well, at the same time too. Like during a C-section, you're defenseless, you're cut open. You can't get up and be like, look what's going on. And compared to like naturally, I mean, at least you can be like, Hey, and sit up. And I was so drugged up at that point that like, I, I had no control over anything, but like my neck in my thoughts, mm -hmm. I wasn't controlling those very well. Like everything <laughs> terrible was coming and going. And, um, I remember right after that, my, like we got out of the, we went to the recovery room and the girls were whisked away to the NICU. I remember like being wheeled by some guy in uniform and it was my husband's chief and he came down to make sure Aww. Cause he, well, I thought, ah, but he was making sure that he was doing what he was supposed to, what he said, because he's like, we've got to go. Like we are going to Haiti. And so they let him, um, thankfully stay for a couple more days. So I'm like, what the heck? Like, this is just the craziest delivery story. Like this is a lifetime movie. Right. <laughs> Straight up. I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I'm, I'm so into it. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Um, yeah, it was just, it was, it was wild. And they're like, yay, you're good to go home. And I'm like, awesome. And you know, you're sore from a C-section yeah. and you can't like lift car seats and all that stuff. And then they tell my husband like three days later, like, Hey, you got to come with us. And so then he left. And so I'm at home by myself with these two babies. And I remember it like it was yesterday. And she was laying on my chest and she was like sleeping. She was laying like this and she started making like a gurgling noise. And I'm like, what, what, what is happening? And I guess from seeing the Neo do it, I had the presence of mind to stick a nose sucker like down her 
throat and suction mm -hmm. it out. Well, they had really bad acid reflux. And what was happening with that was they didn't have strong enough vocal cords to get it out. So it was just sitting here and she was just like choking. And I'm like, what do I do? So obviously like I called 911 and that was in December. And that was our very first um, experience with the, uh, with the hospital route. And so NICU wise and like growth wise, everything was kind of fine. But baby A was born with hemangiomas on her liver. So you know what how people get like those like little, they call them like strawberry birthmarks. Oh yeah. My son yes. has that and my daughter. Okay. So that's what they are. But if you have over a certain amount, then there's an underlying cause. So she ended up having like 42 of them on her body, but they're not all big. She only had two that were big and some of them were as small as like little, the tip of a pen, like oh. super small, but they were everywhere. And so we were trying to like figure out what was going on with that. And like, she would be standing there or just playing. And all of a sudden she would just like, her eyes would get big and she would just fall over and she'd pass out. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, this is weird. And so like, I kept taking her to the ER. I kept taking her to the doctor and I just got told you're a nervous first time mom. You had a crazy delivery. The NICU has no. you scared. And I'm like, no, like something's wrong with her. Like, is she having a seizure? And they wouldn't, they wouldn't test for anything. They just kept sending me home. And as a mom, we know, like, you know, when something is wrong with your child. Yeah. It, like they literally made me feel crazy. And it got to the point, cause like she would do it in her sleep that I never drank coffee before them. And the only reason why I drank coffee was to stay up and to wake up in the morning. And then at nighttime I was drinking pre-workout because I didn't want to go to sleep. So I would like doze off and then like I'd wake back up and I'd be in a panic and they slept in cribs, but in my bedroom. And I mean, so she was right there, but I always felt like, am I going to be so tired that I'm not going to hear her like gasping or just go out. Cause you could always kind of hear it. Like it would always gurgle and then she would just be out. And yeah, they just made me feel absolutely. I got as crazy as we lived in Jackson, Florida. I always started driving to like hospitals in Georgia. Cause I just, I wanted somebody to help me. You right. wanted somebody's opinion. Yeah. And nobody would, they were just like, you're just scared. And I'm like, this is my first rodeo as a mom, but it's not my first rodeo being around a kid, a baby. Right. Like, what was your husband's mindset through all of this? He was gone. He was <sighs> gone a lot. And he would come home and he would be like, all right, like, let's take her to the doctor. Like, let's figure it out. Or he'd email me like, how's she doing? And I literally, it's so sad to say, but I did not have time for him. Like I didn't, and I didn't give him a second thought. And that's kind of when our lives like kind of separated. So there was him out here hanging out on the outside. And then me and the girls over here, we had our own little life because I just kept thinking like, I have to protect them. I have to save them. What am I going to do? And I actually called my old pediatrician and I was like, look, I need help. Like you've known me my entire life. What do I do? Mm -hmm. And she's like, where are you living? And she was like, I'll see if I can find a doctor. And I'm like, I don't want a doctor here. Like I want somebody that's actually going to help me. And a hurricane was coming through. So everybody was getting evacuated. And I loaded up my girls and I drove 10 hours to Nashville, Tennessee. And I stopped in Nashville, Tennessee. And then the next day I had a friend that lived there. And then the next day I drove 10 hours back home to Nebraska because I'm like, I have to do something here. 
we were there. And by this time, I should say that my girls are just about a year old. They're like 10 months old at this time. And so you've been, been dealing doing with this, this since they've been home to oh, their birthday. Wow. Yeah. It, it was by so yourself. Awesome. Yeah. And I felt like everything else was great. And it was weird because her episodes were hit and miss. Sometimes she wouldn't have an episode for a month or two. And then she'd have three in one day. And I'm like, what is going on? Is it something that I'm doing? Is it something I'm not doing? Um, and I drove home and I wasn't home, but a couple days and she did it again. And it was the worst one that she had had. And I remember she was like standing on the couch and she just looked at me and her eyes got big. And I was like, what's going on? Like, what's going on? And she just like fell and I caught her and her body was completely limp. And I called 911, they put me on hold and I'm like, what the heck is going on? And in Nebraska, the area that we live in, it's not always the easiest to find where somebody is. So when they did send the ambulance to us, the ambulance couldn't find the house that I was at. And I remember like trying to do CPR on her and then she came back. And I'm like, okay, so what's, what's happening? What's going on here? And then she went back out. So it was like a total of five minutes of her going in and out, in and out. Oh my and gosh. I was at my brother's house. I'd called my brother and I was like, you have to come home. He only worked a little bit down the road. I have to leave. Something's wrong with Tinsley. And so I barricaded my other daughter in the living room and I was running through the lake that he lived at to the sound of the ambulance because I'm like, like somebody help me, somebody find me. I don't know what's happening. And the craziest thing happened by the grace of God, we had an on-call ER doctor that day. And she told us, I know exactly what's going on with your daughter. Oh my I've, gosh. Finally. Yeah. She was, I've seen it one other time. She was a neurologist and she said, and I wouldn't have believed it if I didn't see it with my own eyes. And she ended up having those hemangiomas on her liver, on the inside of her liver. And one of them was on an artery and her artery was leaking blood and her body was like soaking up most of the blood, but it was like coming out, like whether she was like coughing or in her diaper, but it was so like microscopic that I couldn't see the blood coming out. And all it was, was that she basically had no iron in her body. And since she had low iron and her body was, didn't have a sufficient amount of it, the hole in her heart didn't close. You know, all babies are born with like a little hole in their heart. And then after they're born, it closes. Hers I did not know this, but I, maybe I shouldn't say all, but some do. Some are mm. born. Hers never closed. So she, her blood wasn't oxygenated enough. That's a hard oh gosh. So when she was passing out, it's because her body was saying like, let's go to sleep for a minute and we're going to hurry up and pump a bunch of blood and try to get more oxygen in your blood because you don't have enough. Right. And then she would kind of shoot. And it was really weird. The other thing is, is that she, when she was born, she was the healthier twin. So she weighed more. She was baby A, even though they had two placentas, baby A's placenta will always like have more like nutrients. They just always get a little bit more. But, and they tell you not to compare your twins too. But as it went on, she just seemed like lethargic all the time. And she would just sit on my lap and sit there and just not be like as, like, she didn't have as much motion. She wasn't as vocal as her sister. And then that was just chalked up. Well, they're twins. Don't compare them. They're two different kids. And I'm like, well, yeah, but she's not even on the same like 
stage of like learning. And they were like, well, yeah, cause she's our own person. And I'm like, okay, like, this is weird. Like, am I just that mom? Or I think that my kids, you know, like one of them slower and like, I'm upset by it. Like, am I really that like shallow of a person? Like I questioned everything. And then we got a hold of that neurologist and she was like, this is all that it is. So she spent, um, literally a day, one day did she have to stay at the children's hospital and the right medication. And, um, last March, March, 2019, we had our follow-up checkup from all of this stuff that had happened. And there's not any sign of a hole in her heart, a hemangioma on her liver, nothing. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. Yeah. And I'm like, it took all of this time for just one person to believe me. And I really had already a lot of like horrible emotions from the NICU. Like PTSD. Yeah. yeah. And I did not, I kept telling myself, I was like, I do not have PTSD. Like, what have I been through? You know, I haven't been in a war zone. Right. Cause we only hear that you get PTSD. Well, you, we don't only hear that, but usually you only hear it from people who have went to war. Yeah. And in the time I didn't think what I went was going through was traumatic. It was just my life. And I just had like the blinders on that. I wasn't realizing how out of control everything was. Like there wasn't anything that I could put my finger on and like have control over or even have a voice in like everything was just coming at me. And I was just doing what I had to do to survive. And it took another good year to realize and talking to professionals that it is a form of PTSD. And oddly enough, if I hear like sometimes people's ringers on their phone, the sound of that like beep will sound like the NICU and like my heart drops, like I can't breathe. And like, I instantly start looking like at the girls. I'm like, what are we doing? Like we're at Costco. Like you're fine. It's just, it's crazy. It just triggers something in your brain. I mean, that is scary because one, you didn't even get to see them. So you didn't get to build a connection. And then when you do get to see them, you don't get to hold them. And then now you have this connection, but now you have all this trauma. And so you're, and then things are going wrong with baby a, and now you're just, I mean, I can imagine your emotions are just everywhere. Yeah. They, it was wild. And then people be like, well, do you guys want more kids? I'm like, I don't want another experience like that. So I'm not sure, (laughs) you know, it's very real. And I, one time I made a comment once I forget about this, then maybe we'll think about more kids. And a lady told me, she's like, you're never going to forget about it. You'll be able to process it and deal with it because I didn't deal with it for a long time. I just, I, I couldn't deal with it. I couldn't like go back and like even think about, and that's a reason why I haven't talked about it either. I had all my friends would just get married, have babies, you know, their first photos of their babies hanging out on their chest and all that. And I'm like, I don't have any of this. Like, this is crazy. Like, I just didn't feel like I really related to a whole lot of people. And then, um, I started like my podcast and I was like, well, I'm going to talk about all of this. And then how I revisited all of it was a friend of mine ended up having a miscarriage. And so my friend that was in the NICU with me. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so she, we kind of like bonded even more over that. And she told me that she found out like gender. And I was like, what? Like you can find out the gender? And then I got curious and my husband's like, just let it be, let it be. And so I 
got my medical records from my miscarriage because I was like, I want to know. And it came back that it was actually twins. And oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. And I, oh I, just, my. I feel like, so that happened to you. And then, and then you said like your husband was like, God, God has a reason God's going to do this. And then you have twins again. And yeah. just, I mean, that's, that's a miracle. And I was still, um, friends with the OB then that did my surgery and stuff. And I like talked to her about it and she was like, well, I, she's like, I, I knew obviously. And she's like, and I could have told you, but as your provider, you were already so upset Mm -hmm. letting you know that you lost two, wasn't going to do you justice. And I was like, you're right on that. (laughs) So actually, um, not, it's not funny, but my, one of my best friends, actually the owner of my salon also had a miscarriage at 16 weeks. And so you were saying that you'd never met anybody like that. And I had never either. And then that happened to her and it was very, very upsetting, but, um, they couldn't tell her the gender because at that point it was pretty gone. So the doctor was like, we couldn't tell. So she doesn't know, but she's pregnant now again. Yeah. Yeah. So it's exciting. (laughs) So many prayers for her. It's such a crazy journey because like I could feel movement at 16 weeks. Right. Yeah. She didn't have any idea. Yeah. And then when I had, when I had, when I was pregnant with my girls, I didn't feel like hardly any movement at all the entire pregnancy. And so I'm like, this is weird. Like what is happening? But it was just so odd to kind of see like how it came full circle. And like, when I look back on it now, everything does happen for a reason. I don't think that we would be in the position that we are today by any means. Um, I don't think that we would probably have our girls right now. I mean, our lives would be totally different. And of course, I don't want that to sound like I wouldn't want my first babies because I absolutely would. But I do believe that there was a grander plan in all of that. Right, right. So now, now that all, so during that time, your husband was gone. Mm -hmm. So, and you said that you really didn't have time for him. So how was y'all's relationship during that time? Terrible. (laughs) Yeah, I think, and a lot of people don't, I think want to admit to that, but it was a, it was hard. It was super hard because he wasn't deployed. So in the Navy, you like do like your workups or your underways. So he would go out for two weeks, come home for a couple days, go out for two months, come home for a week or so. So it was really sporadic here and there. But when he was home, his work hours were long and it was crazy. And I felt like the less that I gave to him, the more that he needed. And the more that he needed, the more frustrated he got because I just didn't have time. Right. So what ended up happening was when the hurricane was coming, again, the Navy makes their service members leave because the ship can't be in port. So all of the spouses are alone with their children. And so I was like, you know what? I'm gonna take this as my sign to get out of here, go home. So then that made even like an hour time is we're apart, like super far apart. And so I was in Nebraska, he was in Florida. And then with his schedule, the hurricanes and everything, we didn't see him. The girls were, it was August. They were 10 months old. We didn't see him from August until January. Oh, wow. He came home in January for 12 days and then he deployed for eight months. So, yeah. So we, once I added it up, 
we saw each other 12 days and 365 days. And like, that's hard. And that's hard. hard. A strong marriage and our marriage already wasn't strong. It was already, it was two separate lives, really. And Did your girls have a connection with him? No, at that point. So when, and it's hard to say because like when they were super little, like infants and he would come home, you know, like one of my babies was more attached to him. And it was like that from the moment in the NICU, she just really took up to him. And when he came home for that 12 days, I, by that time I was all that they knew. I was their comfort. And he's a big dude. Like he's over six foot tall. He's like over 200 pounds. Like he's muscular. You know, he's a man. So he has a gruff voice and he has a lot of tattoos. So he kind of looks scary, especially for I mean, you'd be scary to me if I didn't really. (laughs) (laughs) And he's the biggest teddy bear, but my girls were very much like, okay, like who are you? Yeah. And so when he came back from deployment, it took a, a good solid five, six months before they would even go to him. They just, that breaks it, my heart for him. It was really sad and it was heartbreaking for him. Like I would just watch, you know, he would want to like get them something to eat or hold them if they were crying and they did not want it. And he was sad and frustrated. They were scared and frustrated. And it took me just continually like leaving the house by myself so that he was all that they had. And finally, after they got used to like, okay, this is dad, dad's back in our life. You know, like we can trust that he's not going to leave again type deal. Um, my baby that's always connected to him, her little personality just blossomed and everybody thought she was the shy one. And I'm like, she's not shy at all, but it took her having her daddy around to be like her most self. Cause that's where she's comfortable. She doesn't want me anymore. She's a daddy's girl through and through. And so is mine. (laughs) (laughs) I know it works out that we have twins because one wants me, one wants him. Nobody's left. And it's perfect. Yeah. yeah. But it was really, it was really hard. And there was a time that I was like, I don't want to be together. Like, I just, this isn't what I want. It was hard. You know, he had really feelings of resentment because I didn't have time for him. I didn't even think about him. There was no dating in our marriage. There was no, our conversations were solely our girls, how to help them, how to make them healthier. It was nothing about who we were as individuals and as husband and wife, like at all. And I had a few people point that out to me along the way. And I just didn't want to hear it because they didn't know. I was like, you're not living it. You don't know. And it really took us completely falling apart And I remember crying to my brother and I was like, I don't want it. I don't want to be married. I want to move on. Like this is too hard. There's stuff that's been done that I can't forgive on, on his end, on my end. Like, I just want to move forward with my life. And he just, you know, he was like, that's fine. I think you owe it to yourself and you owe it to your girls to actually give a chance now that everybody's healthy. Right. Yeah. Or that way. And so we did. Well, so, I mean, at that point, when you're feeling those emotions, you had basically been a single mom the whole time. And so mm-hmm. you're like, I'm, I mean, nothing against him. I'm sure he's great. But at that point, you're like, I do everything. I don't really need you. Yeah. I mean, it honestly was the point that I was like, you are our financial backbone. You pay our bills so I can stay home. But like, I can easily put the girls in daycare and go back to work. 
Right. You know, I was like, that's no skin off my back. Like I've worked since I was 14. Like I'm fine. I can take care of my girls. I, you know, I don't need you really. And it was so hard because when we left Florida, they were 10 months old. And then there was 12 days that we saw each other. And by the time he got back from deployment and got back to, um, home in Nebraska for his shore duty, it was a month and our girls were two. So I'm like, that's a lot of time that you, and he didn't even know them. Mm -mm. And I mean, that that stinks for him too. I'm sure his emotions were, weren't, weren't necessarily not wanting to know them. That was just his job. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was going to say, it's not even his fault. I mean, it was, it was his work. I mean, you can't really do anything about that. Yeah. And then it like came to the point where I would be like, you know, I'm staying at home and I'm so frustrated because of like the doctors or just being a stay at home mom in general. And then he would be like, I wish I could stay at home, you know? So then I had that feeling of like, I kind of want to be outside of the home a little bit more than I am. And then he was like, well, why would you want that? Because he wanted to be there. You get what I'm saying? So it was like, we were just on the opposite ends of the spectrum. He didn't understand what I was going through by being the sole provider all the time. And I didn't get what he was feeling because he wasn't there at all. I mean, our girls weren't talking that much and they weren't walking. And then by the time he moved back home to be with them, they were talking full sentences and running around. He missed all of that stuff. All of the first, all of the super important things, the milestones. Yeah. And I thought because I was documenting it and taking pictures and videos that it'd be okay. But I'm like, that's, it's not the same. It's really yeah. not. And like, does he have any regrets now? Um, I don't think he has regrets because he couldn't handle it. He couldn't control the situation. Right. It was just what he had to do. And it was such a crazy situation. It's not that typical for the Navy to be gone as much as they were, but that was the year that like three hurricanes hit Florida and we're hitting Jacksonville. And that is even more, there hadn't been like a hurricane hit Jacksonville since like 1960 something. Right. And then one came in and then there was like more, and it was just like all of these other like circumstances that he couldn't control either. And it was just a shit storm really. (laughs) It was so crazy, but I'm like, if we can make it through that, I think we can probably make it through just about anything now. Right. Y'all have been through the rare. (laughs) Did he re-enlist when y'all decided that y'all were going to travel for five years? Um, it's so crazy. So it was like a little, a year later, he came up on re-enlistment and we were like, well, you know, he wants to get out. He's not sure if he's going to stay in or not. And then that's when our daughter was having all those health issues and we kept going to the doctor's office and we were like, we can't afford to lose insurance at this point. Even if there's only a 30 day gap, like we can't afford this. So he really bit the bullet and took one for our family and re-enlisted knowing that he wasn't going to be around as much. We didn't think it was going to be that bad so that we could keep our insurance. And I mean, thankfully he did, or we would be up to our eyeballs in debt. (laughs) Right. No joke. And, and like, you have to have insurance now, or I mean, freaking doctor's bills are ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah. Most hospitals will turn you down if you don't have insurance. That is They will. Well, and then NICU, every day they asked who our insurance was, I was like, same as yesterday, has not changed. And that's another thing that's awful as like a parent to see is that you can tell like who gets better care and it shouldn't be Mm -hmm. that. 
And I was frustrated with that because I'd worked in healthcare before basically my whole life. And I'm like, this is, this is wrong. Like, this is very wrong. Like, how can you do that? And I mean, it wasn't necessarily the doctors and the nurses, but it was the, the higher up people that would walk around with their stupid clipboards. And I'm like, you're the last people we need in the NICU. We're already stressed out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't have the same experience as you do, but my child ended up being a NICU for one night. And, um, I was going around like a mad woman because nobody was giving me answers why he was even in there. And finally I like lost it. There was a baby in one of the rooms screaming and nobody was doing nothing. And I was like, okay, I can't, I can't do this. So I was like, I need somebody to talk to. Somebody needs to take care of that baby. Like help me. And finally the lady with the clipboard shows up and I'm like, please like tell me what is going on. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it's so wild because like when, so like the O2 monitors beep all the time and if it puts off their like little toe or whatever it'll beep. But I, when I got down there, I didn't know why they were there either. Like nobody had told Mm -hmm. me, I didn't know what these monitors were. I didn't know that this one was a feeding too. I was just kind of like, what's, you know, like what's happening. And one of her monitors was beeping and a nurse came in and clicked the button. And then she's like, it's okay. She's fine. And I'm like, like shouting it to the other nurses. And I was like, well, what happened? She's like, she's fine. I'm like, but what happened? She's like, oh, it just slipped off her toe. And I'm like, okay, why didn't you say that? Like, here I am thinking like my kid's going down and you're just like, oh, she's fine. And they got moved like to different stages of the NICU. So as they got healthier, you know, they kind of like moved through. And I remember there's like a little scrub machine, like wash station. You had to like hit the button on the wall and you had to wash your hands for like three or five minutes or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I had just had it at this point. And this other NICU mom walked by and didn't wash her hands. And I was like, excuse me, ma'am, you need to wash your hands. You are walking past my daughter's room and you need to wash it. And it came, it was so rude. I'm not even gonna lie. It was rude and I was mad. And my best friend was looking at me and she was like, Adrian, and I just like cried. I was like, I'm done. I'm done with everybody here. Like, I just want to leave. I want to feel some normalcy. Like the NICU just really depletes you. Yes. I mean, like you said, I was only in there for one night. I can only imagine for how long that you were in there. Yeah. It just, it's, it hits you in certain places. Like you said, I mean, you have it far worse than I did, but and I poor Alyssa, her baby was just fat. So he was sure. having a hard, like his jet, like he looked like he was really breathing hard and we were all yeah, they like, thought no, it was, he's just big. Yeah. They thought it was breathing issues. And so the whole time we're in there, like, like you said, the monitor would slip off and it would keep going off. And I was like, okay, is it his breathing? Like, is there something actually wrong? And these person, they'd come in, click the button and walk away. And I'm like, hello. Yeah. They, uh, I mean, there's some really good, we had awesome nurses and stuff, but yeah, it's just, it's such a wild ride. And everybody says that like becoming a parent changes your marriage. And I was like, oh man, that's not going to be us. We're not going to go through any of that. And it really does change your marriage. You know, you're introducing a whole other little person mm-hmm. and in my case, two little people. And then it's right. like, you have all these other needs that people need to meet and I mean, I think one of the most important things is is to not neglect yourself and to not neglect your spouse. I thought it was so dumb when people would always say like, put your husband or significant other first and like, make sure that's a strong connection. I was like, nope, not going to do that. Like, I don't have time for that, but that really is like your backbone in your marriage. And it's so hard. I mean, I was in such a survival state that 
when I was just so stressed out and from all of the caffeine in my body, I started having seizures from it. And that was when I realized that like, okay, I can't do this alone. And even if he can't physically be here, I have to like include him more and lean on him more. And it was just, it's really hard. I bet so. I can't even, and he's not even there. So like it's, you really can't lean on him like for a hug or just, just to have a, a night to yourself either because you're by yourself. Yeah. And everybody has an opinion. Well, my cousin's baby went through this or somebody that I know had twins and they went through this and this is what's wrong. And I'm like, I no, it's, it's not, or this is what you need to do. And I was just so annoyed with it. And I'm like, mm, no, <laughs> well, everybody's situation is different. Like you can't keep basing it off of everybody else's and people throwing it in your face saying like, Oh, well they did it. Okay. Well they aren't in the same situation than I am. Like theirs was a hundred percent different. Yeah. And I kept having like friends tell me like, Oh my gosh, like you're so strong, but I didn't feel strong at all. I felt so weak and so defeated. And like, again, when I look back on it, I'm like, oh my gosh, that was so crazy. It was such a wild journey from my miscarriage to having the girls to their first few years of life. I'm like, holy, how am I still standing? Like this really was, was hard. But then I also knew from being in the NICU that we didn't have it that bad. I might not have had my spouse around and, you know, our baby did have some very minor medical problems, but the NICU really puts life into perspective for you because there were some very, very sick babies in there. And I, that is what really did give me motivation to keep going is because it's awful, but it's not as bad as it could be. Mm -hmm. Cause walking down like the aisle to get to your baby, you see all these other little children that are worse off a, a lot worse than what my kid was doing back there. But I mean, you see these kids and they're in the little incubators and nobody's there. Like I see, I walk by and there's no parents and I'm like, they're just by themselves. Yeah. I, that astonished me. Honestly, I would, like, I understand that parents have to go back to work mm -hmm. and sometimes NICU stays are really long, but the entire time that my daughters were in the NICU and I'm telling you, I wasn't, once I could be in the NICU, I was there. I Ubered to the NICU one day cause I couldn't drive. And I, I was there all day and all night. I saw two other parents and there were oh, 76 babies in our side of the NICU. 76. Oh my gosh. And I'm like, where are the, where are the parents? And I kept telling, like the nurses would be like, oh, well, like go home for a little bit, you know, like go take a break or go get lunch and stuff. And like I said, I'd worked in healthcare and I kept telling my husband, like they, our daughters are basically a paycheck in essence. Our daughters are why they had to stay over their 12 hour shift or why they missed lunch or why they can't go pee. And I want to be there to make sure that our daughters are actually getting nurtured because they are getting what they need as far as like food and oxygen and that stuff. But like the nurses aren't the parents of these babies mm -hmm. right. and they shouldn't have to be that either. You know, and I know that a lot of nurses are so compassionate and so great, but that's how they get burnt out too, is because they've got to be a nurse, they have to be a mother, they have to be an advocate, and then they have to go home and do that same stuff for their own family. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'm like, I, I can't do that.
Hey guys, Vicki here. Our podcast is brought to you by Vicki Huff Presets, which are my custom-made presets that I designed for my pictures to look more fun. You always see all these fun, beautiful pictures on Instagram, and I wanted mine to look like that. So I went in and was dabbling with a few things, making a few changes, and I ended up loving the results of what I did. So why not release them for you guys too? So head on over to VickiHuff.com, use the code EXTRAGUAC for 25% off of your purchase today. You have a podcast. I do. Yeah. Yes. What's Ooh. it called? Simply Salty. So this is how it all started. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. I knew, I knew it led into all this story. That's why I wanted to switch it real fast. Yeah. So living in Jacksonville and moving to Florida, I just had like a string of bad luck for a couple of years. And I don't think it was any worse than what happened to anybody else in life, but my mindset was worse. And I had the mindset of, um, why is this happening to me? You know, life is so hard. And instead of seeing when things went wrong or bad as a blessing, I was just like, "Mm, of course that would happen to me type deal. Um, and then I had my girls and I went on this wild journey and when I saw them in the Nikki for the first time and they were so fragile and like I cried and I just kept thinking like, I'm going to be raising young little ladies that I want to be confident women someday. And in order to do that, I've got to change my game. I've got to be a better person. I have to really change what I'm doing. And then that's how the podcast was born. And I, at first was just going to share all of the salty stories that had happened that, and kind of make them more funny. And then it just became more than that. And now it's more about like, not just telling people, but showing people that no matter what life throws your way, you can get through it. You can find your purpose and to just never, never give up. And like, I always say life is a salty bitch, but it doesn't have to stay that way. It's literally your perspective. That's yeah. love that. I do too. <laughs> you can either have a good one or a crap one. I'm telling you, if you have a crap mindset, everything in life is going to stay crappy. I agree 100%. Alyssa isn't into personal development or anything yet. Yes. But we're slowly but surely pushing her there. <laughs> I thought it was all like crazy and like affirmations, like talking to yourself. I'm like, nope, not going to do that. But I really have worked hard in the last year on any negative talk is done. Like as soon as I start to think something negative, it's done. And I actually talk about it on today's episode. I've started having people tell me like, you just shine brighter. Like you just have more of a glow to you. And I'm like, I didn't even know I needed confidence. Like I thought my confidence bucket was pretty filled, but that was probably just like a coping mechanism on the inside and other people Mm -hmm. like differently. And now they're like, you just shine brighter. I'm like, well, okay. I wasn't working on that, but I'm glad. Right. But yeah, so it's been a fun, a fun ride. We're coming up on a year. April will be a year since I started the podcast. Um, Just to make sure that our audience knows you and your husband are still together, correct? Yes. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to get, that was my next thing. (laughs) I was like, let me make sure, let me make this clear. (laughs) Yes, we are still together. It took a lot of, um, you know, looking into myself and figuring out and being honest that like, I didn't do everything the right way. I wasn't right. I wasn't always kind to him. Um, and it's taken a lot of just, you know, seeking help from other people. Um, 
and like, I don't think there should ever be any sort of shame on like seeing a therapist, whether you do it individually or you do it together. And sometimes it takes more than one therapist. You got to find the right person that you vibe with. Right. You know, oh, exactly. Somebody to agree with you and be like, okay, you know, um, but yeah, we are still together and just trucking along. I don't know um, if we'll ever have more kids, but we're just, we're content now. We're happy. And yeah, it was, it was hard, but that also goes back to like mindset and like self-development and like where there's a will, there's a way and really everything. And so, Mm -hmm. um, I could have let that whole entire situation define every aspect of my life, including my marriage. And I didn't, I chose to like stand up and fight back. And, you know, thankfully I did. You are so strong. Like, thank you. (laughs) That is crazy. Well, Thank you so much for being on our podcast and doing an episode and thank you for being so honest and raw and, and telling us your story when you haven't even told anyone else your story. I love that. We're the first. I know a lot of my friends will probably be like, what? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Thank you for having me on and let me, let me talk. Yes, absolutely. Thank you So, so much. Yes. You guys stay tuned for next week's episode. Bye guys. Thank you guys so much for listening to our podcast. If you guys vibe with this episode, be sure to share it on Instagram and tag us at the Guacas Extra Pod so we can be super pumped with you. And also be sure to go to Apple iTunes, search the Guacas Extra and leave us a really great review. That would be awesome. Yes. Be sure to set your alarms for Monday morning because another episode is coming at you.